0: Galatians, we're going to read chapter 5. I always like to read a block of Scripture before we begin. And then we'll go over it. Galatians 5, we're going to read verses 16 through 26. Then we'll talk about it a little bit. We read, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar, about which I tell you in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of Yahweh. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to the Messiah, Yeshua, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I'd like to begin a series today on Paul's view of the law of Yahweh. It is often said by modern day Christians that the law is null and void, that it has been nailed to the cross, and that it has little or no place in the life of the Christian believer. And what is most interesting to me in that is whenever someone wants to present this view of the law, They usually go to one author, Paul. I would say that when you only go to one author of the Bible to present your views, that your views are probably out of kilter. Because if all of the authors were carried along by the Holy Spirit, as the Apostle Peter says that they were, then we should look for a cohesive work. We should look for a view that harmonizes and not contradicts. What I've personally found in studying this issue is two things, two main things. Number one, all of the pro-law statements made by New Testament authors like Peter, James, and John are also made by Paul. And number two, all of the pro-grace statements that are made by Paul are also made by Peter, James, and John. Both law and grace are also found in Yeshua's teachings. Even the Hebrew Scriptures, commonly called the Old Testament, do not teach one or the other. They teach both. Law and grace. Not law versus grace. Law and grace. So, what I'm going to do tonight is begin looking at the book of Galatians. This is not going to be an exhaustive study, verse-by-verse exposition on the book of Galatians. But I'm going to center in this Bible study around Galatians because, number one, we have to focus during a Bible study or else we'll scatterbrain and not accomplish anything. Number two, Galatians is the book that I've seen most often used in an attempt to teach that Paul believed that the law was abolished under the New Covenant. People come at this from a couple different angles. You have modern day Christianity which often will use Paul to teach this and then say, well, we don't have to do those commandments or those laws. Then you have some in the more messianic type law-minded movements that say Paul was anti-law and so we're going to kick him out and we're not going to study Paul, we're not going to believe that he's a true apostle. If you don't believe me, I actually talked with, well I've talked with several of them over the years, but I talked with one particular lady on the phone who when I told her to turn to the book of Romans chapter 3 so I could explain to her what Paul was talking about, She said, I can't turn to that book because I cut those parts out of the Bible. Now, this is nothing new. We actually had a president of the United States, his name was Thomas Jefferson, who would read the Gospels and he would cut out the parts of the Gospels that he liked and paste them in another book. And he would leave the parts that he didn't like. So he would just read the parts that he liked. He didn't believe in the supernatural. He didn't believe in miracles and things like that. So that was a long time ago, early 1800s with Jefferson. This woman was in the 21st century. She said, I cut those parts out. That's something we kind of tease about. When people don't want to believe a certain doctrine, we say, well, why don't you cut those parts out of the Bible? Well, we don't have to tease with this lady because she actually did that. So I couldn't go through Romans and she was wanting to come to the congregation and needless to say, once we got through she never came to the congregation. So we're called to be planters and waterers, but I can't give the increase, and so you know she's in the hands of Yahweh. The first text that I'd like to go to in Galatians is the one that we read. It's one that's well known, but it's also one that many people would not have guessed I would go to to start this series. And that's the Great Fruit of the Spirit text in Galatians five sixteen through twenty five is where we'll go to tonight. It's what we'll look at. The reason I've chosen to go here to begin with is because I want to first show you that Paul is not anti-law. He's not against the law of Yahweh. Paul believes, and he says in this passage, that practicing lawbreakers will not inherit the kingdom of Yahweh. He comes right out and says it. So we begin by looking at Galatians 5, verse 16. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, right here, we see a contrast between the Spirit and the flesh. Walking, walk by the Spirit. Walking in Scripture is used as a metaphor of a way of life, a practice. In Genesis 5, it says that Enoch walked with Elohim. In Genesis 6, it says that Noah walked with Elohim. That doesn't mean that they took a stroll down the dirt road and talked about life. When it says that Enoch walked with Elohim, it meant he followed Elohim's ways. He practiced the ways of Yahweh. It was his lifestyle. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, the Bible says that if we say we abide in the Messiah, that we ought to walk even as He walked. That doesn't mean that we stand behind Him and try to make our legs go the same way that His legs went. What that means is we live, we practice, we do as the Messiah did, if we say we abide in the Messiah. Paul lays down this principle right here in Galatians 5.16 when he says, walk by the Spirit. And the Spirit here is the Holy Spirit, the presence and the power of the Almighty. The believer has obtained a portion of Yahweh's Spirit. Where's Brother T.J.? Brother T.J. talked about this in Ephesians 1. It's called the down payment of our inheritance. The portion of Yahweh's spirit that's been placed in us—it's basically the action whereby Yahweh takes you from being a non-believer into a believer and places a, a part of His spirit in you. My favorite passage in the whole Bible, Ezekiel thirty-six, twenty-six and twenty-seven, talks about this. Yahweh actually says, "I will put My spirit in you." If we slow down and meditate on that, think about that—that as believers in Yahweh, we actually have a portion of Yahweh's Spirit, Yahweh who is Spirit, living inside of us. And that Spirit enables us to walk in things like, as we're going to talk about, love, joy, and peace. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of Matthew or of Jerry or of Michael. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit produces that fruit. Matthew doesn't produce it on his own power. The Spirit inside of Matthew, Yahweh's Spirit, produces it. And so Paul is urging the Galatians to walk by the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. What does it mean to fulfill the lust of the flesh? Well, it means to do it, to accomplish it, to act upon the desire or the lust of the flesh. The flesh here, contrasted with the Spirit, is the old way of life, the way of wickedness, the way of unrighteousness. As believers, with Yahweh's Spirit living in us, we have the ability to walk by the Spirit, to live according to Yahweh's ways. Remember, the Spirit and the law aren't contradictory. It's the Spirit that enables us to practice the law, the commandments. So we have the ability as believers to walk by the Spirit, but we also, because of our incarceration in humanity and flesh, we still have the ability to fulfill the desires of the flesh. There's a constant battle going on every day with believers. Walking by the Spirit or fulfilling the desires of the flesh? Those two are opposites. Walking by the Spirit is the opposite of fulfilling the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5, verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, that you may not do the things that you desire. So the flesh and the Spirit are battling. They have desires against each other. It's probably better To say, have desires instead of lusts against each other. Have desires against each other. The flesh desires to do what the spirit does not. The spirit desires to do what the flesh does not. And believers have this battle going on with them every day. Just the other day, I was doing something. My wife and I were working on a project. And it seems like Yahweh tries me the most when my wife and I work on projects. So we worked on a project and she said something to me and it was just something normal and I said something back to her in a way that I should not have done so. I sinned against my wife and I sinned against Yahweh and I knew that I was doing it when I did it. Now later on, because of the spirit of Yahweh that dwells inside of me, later on I went back to my wife and I said, Honey, I apologize and praise Yahweh, I have a forgiving wife. And so she said, Don't worry, Matthew. I forgive you. And everything was fine. But in that, Brother Jerry, I allowed the flesh to override the Spirit. I had the ability to let the Spirit override the flesh because the Spirit dwells within me. But in that case, I let the flesh override the Spirit. Hopefully, I'm not the only man that has troubles with that, right? Can I get an amen? I'm not hearing too many amens. (laughs) Can I get an amen? I told somebody Friday night, I taught at another congregation. I told somebody I've taught a lot of sermons at the congregation where I teach and pastor, I said, but the sermon that got the most amens was when I taught about how it was okay to drink wine and beer. (laughs) I told it as a joke and everybody started laughing. Brothers and sisters, we are able to quench the flesh because of the gift of His Spirit that lives inside of us. We do have that ability. It's just sometimes we don't act upon that spirit. We rather act upon our flesh. Galatians 5.18 says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Notice again, here is the contrast of Spirit and flesh, but in a different wording. Spirit and under the law. Now that's Yahweh's Spirit. That's the Spirit He's given to us. Being led by the Spirit means you walk lawfully. You walk in accordance with Yahweh's ways. You walk in accordance with His commandments. Now, most people read the next part and think that it means you don't have to obey the law. You're not under the law. You don't have to obey the law. That doesn't make any sense of the verse as a whole. I want you to think about it. Led by the Spirit equals walking lawfully. So the verse could read, But if you walk lawfully, you are not under the law. That should show us that you are not under the law cannot mean that you ought not obey the law. That's not what Paul's saying here when he says you're not under the law. It doesn't mean it's okay to sin. There's something else that Paul is getting at here. Let me give you an illustration that I think will help to understand what I believe Paul is saying here. Suppose you pull up to a four-way stop in the city and there's a police car that also pulls up right behind you and you've got your seatbelt on and you stop completely and your license and registration are current. You wait on your turn to drive through the four-way. You're doing everything correctly. And so you need not fear that the police is going to pull you over and write you a ticket now now you've got the same scenario, and you pull up to the four-way stop, no seatbelt on, you're doing sixty five and a thirty five you don't stop at the four way, but you speed through it, you make tire marks going through, and you clip the car that's its turn going. you clip that car and you just keep on going, and the police is behind you, and what's he going to think? Two things: one, either you're drunk or two you're you're stupid. What's this guy doing? He's not following the the law, the city law, the city ordinance. And because you did not follow the law in that case, you then fall up under the penalty of the law. When you were obeying the law, you didn't fall up under the penalty, right? When you disobeyed, you fell up under the penalty. Now Paul's use of you are not under the law does not mean you ought not obey the law. It rather means you are not up under the penalty or the judgment of violating the law. But why? It's because you're being led by the Spirit. If you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, meaning under the penalty or under the judgment of the law. Because the Spirit will lead you to do righteous things, not unrighteous things. You see the point there? So when Paul says you're not under the law, he's not doing away with the law he's not saying not to obey it he's simply saying you're not under the law's penalty when you obey when you're led by the spirit so my paraphrase of galatians five eighteen is this quote but if you are walking in accordance with yahweh's law you do not fall under the penalty of the law that makes a lot more sense led by the spirit not under the law's penalty then paul begins listing the works of the flesh And remember that the flesh is opposite of the spirit. Now look at this list. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, which are adultery, sexual immorality, uncleanness, lustfulness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, rivalries, divisions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Of which I forewarn you, even as I also forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit Yahweh's kingdom. That's quite a list. Every one of those works are against Yahweh's law, against his morality. That's a list of lawless, not lawful, lawless deeds. Adultery, seventh commandment. Idolatry, second commandment. Murder, sixth commandment. And there are many more listed here. Paul is not giving an exhaustive list of the law here in this text. One time somebody asked me, why didn't he mention Sabbath breaking in that list? I said, I don't know. Maybe for the same reason he didn't mention honoring your parents in that list. He's not giving an exhaustive list of all of the commandments here or all of the sins in the works of the flesh. I know that because at the end he says, and things like these of which I forewarn you as I also forewarned you. Things like these means there's other sins. There's other wrongs. There's other lawless deeds. I'm not listing them all. The main point to see here is that Paul preaches against sin. And we all know what sin is, the transgression of Yahweh's law. Paul here in Galatians 5:19 through 21 preaches against sin. He says that practicing these things will exclude you from the kingdom. And practicing is the key word. Those who practice, those who practice such things will not inherit Yahweh's kingdom. That's the key word. Think of a doctor that practices medicine. It's his way of life. That's what he does. That's his occupation. So Paul's point is that people who live in these sins with no repentance will not inherit the kingdom. This lets me know that Christ followers, Christians, are law keepers. They practice law keeping. And people that won't inherit the kingdom practice law breaking. Shouldn't be hard to see. And this, once again, is from the pen of the Apostle Paul. He writes this right here in the book of Galatians, a book which is often used to make Paul out to be an anti-law, grace-only man. Well, we see here that Paul was not that at all. Paul certainly taught grace, just like Yahweh teaches grace. Genesis 6 says, Noah found grace in the eyes of Yahweh. Grace is not a new concept that come along with the Apostle Paul. Paul certainly taught grace, but he also taught against sin. He taught the law. And he taught the law not just as a mirror to show you your sin, but as a a guide to show you how you ought to live. That's two of the three uses of the law. One is a mirror. It's like when you come home from work and you look at a mirror and your face is dirty. The mirror shows you the dirt on your face. The mirror won't take the dirt off, but it shows you the dirt on your face that you need to wash your face. Paul said in Romans 7, I did not know what sin was until I read the law. The second use of the law that I just talked about is not as a mirror but as a guide. That once you are a believer and once Yahweh's Spirit now indwells you and you're here in the congregation and you hear the law, it's not just a mirror to you but it's a guide to you. You say, okay, that's how I ought to live. I could be preaching to a group of a thousand people about thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not steal. And there may be some unregenerate, unbelieving thieves in the crowd. And what that preaching is going to do is going to, preaching of the law is going to act as a mirror to their sin. It shows them that they're in transgression. However, there may be believers in the crowd and they hear, Thou shalt not steal, and they think, That's right. I'm not a thief. I don't need to be a thief. That's how I need to live my life. See, it works as both a mirror for some and a guide for others when we preach the law. As I read that list earlier, some of those may have hit you right in the stomach. And you may think, man, that really strikes me. That shows me my sin. That's the law's use. And then, also, it's a guide. That's how I ought not to live. I should live the opposite of that. It's beautiful. Then he goes on in Galatians five twenty two through 23. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit... Remember, he just went over the works of the flesh... But the fruit of the Spirit, the contrast, the opposite of that is things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Paul is dealing with the Spirit versus the flesh. Walking in the Spirit, not practicing the desires of the flesh. Now we should expect the fruit of the Spirit to be actions that are lawful. Because the previous list were actions that were lawless. So now we have lawful actions, and they are. The first action is love. Love is first on the list, I believe, because love encapsulates everything else in the list. If you master love, you'll have joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, goodness, meekness. You'll have all these things because love is the big one. It's the one that everything else hangs from. Now most people in this congregation are going to know the answer to this question when I ask it. But if I asked you, what is love, how would you answer? If I asked you, how can you tell if a husband loves his wife or if a wife loves her husband, what would you say? Now, I could let. I heard service. That's a good answer. Was that you, Brother Allen? No, Brother Clifton. I thought it was Brother Allen's voice. Brother Clifton, many moons ago, I was riding down the road in my truck and I asked myself, what is the best one-word definition of love? And I came up with service 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 to Yahweh service to your neighbor I think that's the best one word definition of love if you love somebody you will serve them in Yahweh's case you'll obey him when he gives you commandments in your neighbor's case you'll serve your neighbor you'll do unto your neighbor as you would have your neighbor to do unto you I may never now I've told brother Tim that I love him but I could never tell brother Tim I love him and I could still love him and he could still know that I love him you know why because of how I act and treat Brother Tim. I have a neighbor next to me named Brother T.J. Martin. I wished he would be my neighbor for my whole life. But he's moving. That's okay. He's still my neighbor, just not literally. But Brother T.J. has told me he loves me, but I see him frequently over the fence. And when I see him over the fence, he doesn't have to always say, I love you, Matthew. I love you, Matthew, every time that he sees me. But I know that Brother T.J. loves me. Do you know how? He doesn't steal from me. He watches my property when I'm gone. He calls me if he thinks something's out of order. He doesn't wreak havoc towards my family. He loves my children. He treats my wife respectfully. That's how I know that Brother T.J. loves me. Now, it's okay for him to tell me he loves me. That's okay. But it's not okay for somebody to say that they love you and then show that they don't. Right? Love is service. Love is not lip service. Love is service. If I treated my wife like dirt for a month, and then I brought her a dozen roses at the end of the month, set them on the table, should I get upset if she doesn't want the roses? No, I really shouldn't. I really shouldn't. She might say, as Yahweh said in Isaiah 1, those roses are an abomination to me. They're a stench in my nostrils." And that's what Yahweh told, I think it was the house of Judah, maybe Israel, I can't remember, in Isaiah chapter 1. When they were walking in some of the letter of the law, but disobeying in some of the letter and a lot of the spirit of the law, He said, man, your worship is in vain to me. I don't don't like what you're doing because your heart's really not in it. You show up to worship me, but you don't really love me. Because look at how you've been living. Amen. Love is service. It's the first on the list. Now, I did a lot of talking, but I'm going to let the Bible answer the question. How do you know if somebody loves another person? I could let Yeshua answer. I could let James or John answer. I could let Yahweh answer. But in this sermon, I'm going to let Paul answer because he says the same answer as all the others. Paul doesn't give us a different answer of what love is. We're going to jump from Galatians over to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Look at this. It says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Fulfilled definitely doesn't mean has done away with the law. It means he's accomplished the law. He's practiced the law. He who loves his neighbor has done the law. When you love your neighbor, you do the law. Then Paul says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not covet. And notice he's not being exhaustive because then he says, and whatever other commandments there are, are all summed up in this saying. Namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul's dealing with um, horizontally, person to person here. He's not really dealing with the commandments that apply between us and Yahweh, although those, those are valid. But Paul's subject here in Romans 13 is horizontally. How do we treat one another? Every commandment is summed up and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's not a new sentence from Paul. You know where that sentence is first read in the written scriptures? Leviticus. That book, everybody, when they get to in their Bible reading for the year, they tend to stop because Leviticus is a boring book to a lot of people. It's actually my favorite book of the whole Bible. Leviticus. And that's where we first read you, you are to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's the only thing, really, I need to ask myself. I'm going to use Brother Tim again. He's sitting right here. If there's ever a question in my mind that I'm treating Brother Tim wrongly, that I may doubt how am I acting towards my brother, the only question I need to ask is this. How would I have Brother Tim to treat me in this situation? And however I would expect and have Brother Tim to treat me as a brother in Yahweh, I'm supposed to treat him the same way. Amen. Amen? You meditate on that and you do a lot of repenting every day because you'll find that you are not treating other people the way that you really would have to be treated. And when you begin to do that, it will be a major change in your life. When you start asking, how would I how would I want this person, even if you don't, you've never met them before, but how would I want them to, to handle this situation with me? That's how I'm going to handle it with them. You know when you do that, the Bible says you're fulfilling the law. Brother Clifton, you're serving your neighbor. You're serving your neighbor. I love that. I love that. If I love you, I won't steal from you. If I love you, I won't bear false witness against you. If I love you, I won't murder you or hate you in my heart. Heart murder. That's simple, isn't it? Why don't we hear this talk more often in Christianity? Why is it that the law is looked upon as something bad or as something that's not for us today? Really, it should be elementary, 101. These things like this. Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Paul could have stopped right there and that would have encapsulated the holiest. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Romans 13.10 Love does not harm a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. I got into a discussion with a pastor not long ago. That was saying the commandments, all of them were done away with and Paul just taught spiritual principles. This is one of the verses that he actually brought up. Blew my mind. Paul is quoting the law in Romans 13, 8-10. He said, for the law says, love is the fulfillment of the law. He quotes commandments. Love does not harm one's neighbor. This is Paul. Pro-law. Pro-law. Going back to Galatians five twenty two, Love is the first on the list in the fruit of the Spirit. It's number one. And we should expect it to be for love is the highest attribute because love covers the entire law. Paul then lists things like joy, peace, patience, kindness and those are all great things, right? Those are wonderful things. Those are attributes or practices that we should all want to have. I want to be a man of joy a man of peace, a man of patience, and a man of kindness. I want to be those things. And you know what? If you're a true believer, if you're a genuine believer, the Spirit that lives inside of you will produce that desire to want these things too. You won't practice the works of the flesh. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. If you are a genuine child of Yahweh, you will not practice the works of the flesh. You will practice the fruit of the Spirit. That doesn't mean your flesh will never override your spirit, but you will not practice the works of the flesh. Your lifestyle will not look like the lifestyle of an unbeliever. It won't. A person can tell me that they're saved, born again, whatever they want to say, whatever words they want to use, until they're blue in the face. If they practice the works of the flesh, the Bible says they're a liar and the truth's not in them. At the end of this list, fruit of the spirit Paul says against such things there is no law against what things love joy peace there's no law against these things there's no law when you read the ten commandments there's not one of them that says thou shalt not be patient thou shalt not have joy thou shalt not have love that's Paul's point he said that's a simple point that's Paul's point it's not Matthew's point he says against such things there is no law in other words practice these things don't practice the things that there's laws against Yahweh's always lost against, that's Paul's point. Paul's upholding the law here. Don't practice the works of the flesh. Galatians 5, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and lusts. That goes along with what I just said. The people on the earth who truly belong to Christ, who belong to Yeshua of Nazareth, they have crucified the flesh. They have put to death the works of the flesh. They don't practice them that verse does not mean that Christians are sinless because that would contradict far too many other verses not just in Paul but also in the Old Testament from Solomon from David and from Yahweh himself but it does mean that Christians genuine followers of the Messiah are a people who are sensitive to sin they do not desire to live in or practice the works of the flesh and they daily desire to put to death the deeds the flesh daily every day when they wake up they do not want to practice these things because they're new creations if any man be in christ he's a new creation paul says old things have passed away the old all things have become new the spirit lives inside of you and the spirit of yahweh will not allow those sins to be practiced however When a child of Yahweh does fall into one of these sins, and he or she can, I'm going to show that in just a second, he or she can, when a child of Yahweh falls into one of the works of the flesh, he or she is grieved, they feel sorrow, they hate what they have done, they show forth contrition and repentance for their sin. A born from above believer will not be able to walk in any of these sins without feeling remorse and pain until they repent. Saved people are a contrite people and they are a penitent people. I was reading in Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Galatians. I've got it up here. It's a great commentary. There's some things that I don't agree with. There's some things that make me grit my teeth. But there's some beautiful things here too. And this is one of the beautiful things as he's commenting on Galatians 5. Listen to what Martin Luther, one of the guys that spearheaded the Protestant Reformation. Listen to what he said. Quote, Sometimes it happens that saints fall and perform the desires of the flesh as David fell horribly into adultery. Also, he was the cause of the slaughter of many men when he caused Uriah to be slain in the forefront of the battle. And thereby also he gave occasion to the enemies to glory and triumph over the people of God, to worship their idol, and to blaspheme the God of Israel. Peter also fell most grievously and horribly when he denied Christ. But although these sins were great and heinous, yet they were not committed because of any contempt of God or of a willful and obstinate mind, but through infirmity and weakness. Again, when they were admonished, they did not obstinately continue in their sins, but they repented. To those, therefore, who sin and fall through infirmity, pardon is not denied, so that they rise again and continue not in their sin. Of all things, continuance in sin is the worst. But if they repent not, but still obstinately continue in their wickedness and perform the desires of the flesh, it is a certain token that there is deceit in their spirit. No man, therefore, shall be without desires so long as he lives in the flesh. Therefore, no man shall be free from temptations. Some are tempted one way and some another, according to the difference of the persons. One man is assailed with more vehement and grievous emotions, as with bitterness and anguish of spirit, blasphemy, distrust, and desperation. Another with more gross temptations, as with fleshly lust, wrath, envy, hatred, and such like. But in this case, Paul requires that we walk in the Spirit and resist the flesh. But whoso obeys the flesh and continues without fear or remorse in accomplishing the desires and lusts thereof, let him know that he pertains not unto Christ. And although he brag of the name of a Christian ever so much, yet does he but deceive himself. For they which are of Christ crucify their flesh with the affections and lusts thereof. That was beautiful from Martin Luther. A true Christian, a true blood-bought believer in the Father and the Son will not continue in sin with a high hand towards Yahweh saying, I'm obstinate, and I hate you, Yahweh. No. When a Christian sins, there's remorse, there's regret, there's a feeling of pain. And might I say, even for the what we might call the small sins, and there are small sins and big sins, you won't hear that a lot, but there are. There are small sins and there are big sins. But even if a Christian commits a small sin towards somebody, it will still tear their heart or their stomach apart. It will. It will. I felt bad for goodness gracious before because I got the wrong change back at the grocery store and got out to the car and got in my mind thinking, oh no, that woman's going to think I knew when I was there and I didn't give... Make make it right. And have to walk back in the grocery store. Why? Because I don't want money that's not mine. You may think, well, that's maybe a small thing. You're not intentionally doing anything. I know. But the Spirit of Yahweh that lives in me doesn't let me do that. See, are you following me? I'm preaching to you now. Hallelujah. Even the smallest things. Listen. Sometimes we might consider it a small thing when we get in a spat and we say the wrong thing towards our neighbor like I did towards my wife. Or us brothers, we get out on the job site sometimes and we get frustrated and we say things or we do things that we may not do if everything's going right. Don't hold it in. Let it out. Say, I'm sorry, man, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have been that way. I have to ask forgiveness to my children sometimes. Don't ever be too prideful to ask forgiveness of somebody that's younger than you are. Because sometimes I've not handled situations with my children the way that I know Yahweh would have me handle them. And so it's much better for me to humble myself and let Yahweh exalt me when He sees fit and say, I'm sorry, Elijah or Benjamin. I apologize. I should have done differently. That's the mark of a Christian. It's not something I practice, but when I do it, when I let the flesh override the Spirit, I repent. As David, as Peter, arguably Peter's sin could have been the worst. I'll never deny you, Lord, as he puffs his chest up. The Lord said, oh yeah, you'll deny me. Three times you'll deny me. No, I'll never deny you. Get thee behind me, Satan. He looks at Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan. And then what did Peter do? Deny the Lord three times. Aren't you that guy from Galilee? His speech gave him away. Galileans talk differently, you know. Aren't you that guy? No, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know who that man from Nazareth, Galilee, is. I don't want to associate with him. Arguably the worst sin to deny the Messiah. But yet he repented. He was given the keys to the kingdom. He preached the message there on Pentecost after the resurrection of Christ. Peter was a righteous man, not a sinless man, but he was a righteous man. That's the mark of a Christian. Brothers and sisters, Galatians 5.25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let's walk by the Spirit. Living by the Spirit means living by the law. The Spirit is given, Ezekiel 36, for what purpose? To cause you to obey the statutes and ordinances of Yahweh. Not to carry out the works of the flesh, but to walk in the fruit of the Spirit that now lives within the believer. It's never the Spirit versus the law. It's the Spirit is working or walking in the law. Paul says, I serve the law of Yahweh in my mind, but there's another law working in my members. Romans 7. And sometimes things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And the things that I do want to do, sometimes I omit them. Battle, flesh, spirit, flesh, spirit. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. But as believers, we're to walk in the spirit, we're to be spiritual. One man told me one time, the law is spiritual as though it was some kind of esoteric, mystical, floating thing. That's not what it means when it says the law is spiritual. The law itself, the entity of the law, is a spiritual thing. Honor your father and mother, that's spiritual. Do not murder, that's spiritual. The law itself is a spiritual thing. Paul wrote that. Paul wrote also in Romans 7, the law is holy, just, and good. Paul never said anything bad about the law. Not one word ever came out of Paul's mouth. Brother Andy said one time to me, not one word ever came out of Paul's mouth that was said anything bad about the law. He said, Brother, I like that. I'm putting that sticking it in my pocket for later. Because it's so true. Right. Not one negative word about the law Paul ever said. If we live by the Spirit, if we say we live by the Spirit, let's walk by the Spirit. Let's serve Yahweh. Let's serve our neighbor. Let's practice the law. Can't you see right here from the book of Galatians, and we'll continue this next week, but can't you see right here from the book of Galatians that Paul was no antinomian? Paul was pro-law. Pro-law. We'll talk more about this next week from Galatians chapter 3. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You, for your word, thank you for your law, thank you for your son, thank you for your apostle I pray that we would be doers of the word and not hear it only and deceive ourselves into thinking we're something when we're nothing I pray that we'd always remember no matter what we accomplish that we are who we are by the grace of Yahweh let us not boast in ourselves, let us boast in your spirit that you give us it has been given to us to produce righteousness Let us walk in the Spirit so that we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. I pray all these things through your holy child, Yeshua. Amen.